Well, hello, welcome to the Gridiron Show. Myself, Will Gavin, editor of Gridiron, Ollie Connolly with you for this edition. I've been uh, away for a little while. I've just been flitting off around, going to music festivals and going on holidays and just thinking that, you know, the off-season is mine to spend how I wish, even though there's been so much news and stuff going on while Ollie has been grinding away and may I say so doing some fantastic work been thoroughly enjoying the output over recent days well thank you I hope you had a good break (laughs) yeah I mean it's been fine I'm very excited about the new season though and I I messaged you in the group the other day like it's that nonsense stuff that I know I shouldn't get excited about going into a new season like training camp footage of as a 49ers fan Trey Lance throwing a deep ball to Brandon Oak which he catches (laughs) over Jimmy Ward which is you know it was a great throw and a great catch, but at the end of the day, they're not even in pads. So why am I getting excited about it? But it's just that little tease of what could be coming in a few weeks' time. Just oh, got me all hot under the collar. I know. There's, I, I try my best to avoid any of that. I like to think of myself as a pseudo-football intellectual, and I'm not going to get drawn into all the hype and hoopla of training camp footage. Then when I saw that Julio Jones footage on day one in Tampa, I was like, shut it down. This is a wrap. <laughs> I, I thought he was washed. He looks unbelievable. <laughs> it's over. Love it. Absolutely love it. I um, I also enjoyed, I have to say, while we're uh, patting each other on the back, the uh, Guardian piece on the top uh, pundits and the reaction to it from all of a sudden. It's amazing how quickly these people develop an ego when they get put on a list like that by, you know, a bloke in England who admittedly knows his stuff, but you just like, it's amazing how much they latch onto those things. So and love Ellis, how much Ellis, of a splash Ellis that made. Specifically to piss off specific people on the list with their placement to play to their <laughs> ego that they then fell through the black hole of egoness never never underestimate the ego of the people in media amazing it's amazing um right let's crack in we're just gonna do a news-based show i know we kind of try and make this uh uh earlier in the week show kind of one big thing show but there's so much news for us to get through and we're still working out the schedule for the season sounds like i mean we're going to be pumping out content for you there's going to be so much cracking stuff coming your way during the season so more announcements around that as we get closer and closer um let's uh, we we can touch on the deshaun watson suspension just very briefly, um, if people haven't heard it yet and you're subscribed, but you haven't listened to the show that went out yesterday uh, with Ollie doing a round table with who was there, Samantha uh, Bunton, Rachel Hearn, uh, Janet Kelly as well. I thought, you know, covered the topic in a very sensitive way that really highlighted all the issues. From my perspective, I feel like the NFL have put themselves in just an absolute rock and a hard place where... I still feel like Roger Goodell's going to come out and say this is going to be a year suspension. That's what we recommended during the um, discovery. That's what we believe should be the case. But when you've made these collective bargaining agreements and you've agreed with the NFLPA to, to put these things in place, I just I think you're forcing yourself into another Ezekiel Elliott situation where we're going to see something dragged out for months and months and months. Whereas actually, if you just independently said we're giving him a year, a month ago, I think there would have been a bit of kick and fuss, but by now they'd be over it. We'd know what the Brown situation was this year and we could move on. And instead we have to see pictures from Brown's training camps of parents thrusting their children towards Deshaun Watson to get their helmets signed and their balls signed. And it left a really bitter taste in the mouth coming just kind of 
24 to 48 hours after a six-game suspension is announced. Just, just madness. Yeah, and that's the awful part because the NFL's botched this. The, the disciplinary officer used their own precedent against themselves, while she also cited, by the way, that this was unprecedented. So the whole ruling is this confused, jumbled mess that, like you said, I, I got into with a bunch of guests on the show yesterday. Uh, even the NFLPA was willing to accept eight games in a deal with the NFL a month ago but they so wanted the year suspension, so believed they had it ironclad, even though their investigation, though it proved the five allegations, they didn't bring in all the other ones. They could have brought all 30. If you scale up what she actually did in the end based on precedent, if you'd brought everyone to the table, though they couldn't get them because they didn't want to talk to the NFL's investigators because of how they handle things, if you scale it up, it would have been about 24 games. So they, they have bungled so many different facets of this. And she's not wrong in the... It, uh, there was a lot to disagree with in the ruling and a lot of the language was wrong, frankly. Um, but her saying that the NFL just does this ad hoc and they check the pulse of the country. And if it's Deshaun Watson, it's a season-long ban. But if it's a guy you've never heard of, we just let him get cut by his team and he's never in the league again. That part was true. So this is, this is all on their door. Yeah, I, I, that's the bit that really stuck in my craw was this idea that there was no precedent or the previous precedent was six games. It's like six games for Ray Rice when there was one case, but it was on video. And let's not forget that he also had the kind of pseudo suspension that went on for a long time before that six games was handed down. I guess you could argue Sean Watson went through that last year, but that was for one case. There may have been more direct evidence, but... And the Talking thing now, 24 to 30 cases, you include the kind of the ones that are testimonies in the press and haven't pressed charges in any format. Just that's 30 were publicly aware of, right? The Texans settled lawsuits with women who've never been in the public. Not even the, there's two people that SI independently corroborated, right? That they had text messages that showed this happened. They were not in the Texans lawsuit. So the numbers, when you start trying to piece, you know, pull apart how many it is, we get to that New York Times report of him visiting 67 massage therapists, right, over, um, was it an eight-month span or something like that, 18-month span? We do not know what the final figure of this thing is. Plenty of people don't want to come forward, understandably so. I said there, by the way, incorrectly, it's all on the NFL, it's all at their doorstep. It's obviously all at Deshaun Watson's doorstep. This is of his making. I'm talking about the administrative protocol of how they get to suspend the guy who did the predatory acts. That's on their doorstep because they messed up the policy because they make policy on the fly and they were held to account for it by a copyright lawyer because they installed a copyright lawyer to do this. So she read precedent. They didn't go and get a, a human-based lawyer. They got a paper lawyer to look over this case. Another whiff from them in trying to get him suspended for longer. So it's really disappointing. And, and the part that you mentioned that is really essential if they cannot do it in-house now because they've so mangled their treatment of how of dealing with players who mistreat women the only other recourse is for the public media people uh you know people on the ground members of the public to make him a pariah within the sport and without the sport and immediately as you said there's people crowded around him at training camp wanting footballs hoping he throws touchdowns hoping they lift the lombardi Right. Anyway, I, I keep thinking to myself, you know, how will we cover it if the unbelievable happens and they end up going to a Super Bowl? How will do we go out there? How do we talk about it? How do we, you know, separate church and state? And I just don't think there's going to be a way to. So. I, I don't think you should. 
I, I think we should not. I think it is on us now to every time he has a press availability to because he's not spoken about it. It's not shown remorse. Has tried to put out there publicly that he has shown remorse when he said he did nothing wrong. Until there's something from him that shows some kind of remorse, or there's some kind of thing from the victims that say they are okay with some kind of you know way of moving on or closure, then we just have to keep pressing him and keep pressing the Browns on it. Right. Like I said, there's a whole podcast on that yesterday. It's well worth going and listening to in full, everyone having their say and, and really kind of really deep dive on it. Interesting stuff. And as I say, a story that we can't not keep covering and I don't think is going away anytime soon. In the next few days, we'll find out just what the NFL intend to do about this. But I suspect a year is going to come down, be appealed and then all sorts more going on for months and months beyond. Um, it's been a tough week for training camp injuries, uh, particularly let's start off with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Big favourite on the NFC side of things, along with Teams like the Packers. I keep seeing the 49ers thrown in. Let's wait and see. Um, but, you know, Tom Brady coming back. He's going to be without his starting center. Ryan Jensen suffering a significant knee injury. We saw a real drop-off in that line when they had injury problems towards the end of last year. Tristan Wirfs leaving practice on a carton. Okay, how many times in our careers and lives have we doubted Tom Brady when there's been a major injury, a reason that they're going to be able to get pressure at the middle and everything else that could be involved in that? But... This feels properly significant, particularly Ryan Jensen. Yeah, well, the two of them together, as you say, because Ryan Jensen, that looks like it's going to be the whole season, right? Maybe, maybe there's a playoff situation, but unlikely. That's the best center in the league. You take the best of anything out of a team. That's not good. And then Wirfs, who is right in that upper tier, figuring out who's the best of the right tackles is a, is a you know, you're lying to yourselves if you're picking between the top three. Those guys are just in there in a tier of their own. You pull those two guys out and it's, it's not even just taking out the, the greatness. It's the drop off is pretty profound to really untested people. And they they were supposed to have basically four all pros, if not pro bowlers on that line, uh, which is what everything there is built around. Give Tom Brady time. He's going to cut you apart. And, and to take out two of those Jenga blocks when they already had one concern at left guard. Now suddenly you're thinking, well, we, we only feel comfortable with, with two spots on this line. And one of the guys in that line for as good as he is, Shaq Mason, does, hasn't really played the style of football that the books have been playing since Brady got to Tampa. They bring in Julio Jones and there's this whole thing about, you know, look at this phenomenal wide receiver core on paper. And okay, Julio Jones, maybe, maybe last season was an anomaly. Maybe there were injuries we weren't aware of. Maybe we get something of a shadow of the Julio Jones that dominated the league for so long. And we're going to talk a little bit about wide receiver contracts coming up with, you know, Debo signing his and a number of others uh, signing theirs uh, just recently. But I still look at this Buccaneers depth chart and I do think to myself, like, for what they're paying him, for the fact that it's almost entirely roster bonus, for the fact that it's not kind of guaranteed, but it's about him being on the roster and, and being involved. I'm not so sure Julio Jones makes the 53. And actually, I was pretty excited to see what Russell Gage did in this offense next year with everyone else healthy around him. He flashed brilliantly at times last year. And I... I thought within that system with the other wide receivers around him could turn into just a completely elite number three. 
Yeah, I'm with you that Russell Gage, I don't want to go too nerdy, but the next gen stats, they, they calculate who is the best at what certain type of routes, right? And Russell Gage was top four in two specific routes, the quick out and the comeback, which just so happened to be the, the highest populated routes in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense from 2021. So they just got, because this is what Tom Brady seems to do, he makes magic happen, right? Who is the most valuable, best player at the two things I want to do the most? And they just went and, and pinched him. So I think he can be unbelievable um, in that system. And I'm with you. I mean, when they first did it, I did have in my mind Julio from last season where he wasn't practicing. He looked really slow and cumbersome. The idea with him aging, right, was, well, he's got this giant body, big wingspan. He can become maybe a, a Anquan Bolden type box out guy rather than the get down the field athletic freak that he was when he was younger. But something was just so off with it last year that there's just no rhythm to anything he did. And maybe that was that whole Tennessee offense, which kind of fell apart even as they, they went to the one seed. And with Brady, he just always seems to be a fountain of youth for people. If he's on the team, I mean, based on those videos we've seen, he does look like a completely different player than he was last year. But I guess we won't know until there's pads on. Um, uh, let's talk about those wide receiver contracts because I mentioned it. Uh, Debo Samuel gets paid and becomes the seventh wide receiver this summer to get a contract, which let's be honest, two to three years ago, we'd have considered starting quarterback money. And maybe that's a little harsh. Maybe five years ago, we'd have considered starting quarterback money, but at least an extension that averages over $24 million per year himself and DK Metcalf signing theirs in the last week, Terry McLaurin, not so long before that, a lot of, you know, everyone's numbers being very much in and around the same range. Three-year deal, 71 million, 72 million. DK Metcalf gets 58.2 guaranteed. Debo gets 58.1 guaranteed, but his actual deal is slightly higher. Like all of these things that, these little nuances, a lot of them, of course, who have uh, the same agent. And in fact, AJ Brown took it as an opportunity to take yet another dig at the Tennessee Titans by saying, oh, look, all of these other guys get deals. Notice how the only one who got a deal but had to get traded first was me. Um, yeah, still digging out the Titans for not being willing to offer him money that he considers in and around that same range. Before the wide receiver point, I think it's an interesting point about ownership, where I, particularly people who look at the NFL from the outside who are maybe either more casual fans or who, for whom the salary cap is, I think, understandably, just a complete and utter, <laughs> you know, this area of mythos that they couldn't possibly begin to comprehend. And it, honestly, it is that a lot of the time. <laughs> I was going to go off, absolutely go off on one then, but I'm going to bite my tongue. What we don't consider more often is the willingness of ownership to put money up front, to pay signing bonuses, to actually spend the money. They'll spend the cap, but that's very difficult, different <laughs> to spending the money, to actually having the cash going out of their accounts into players' accounts. And actually, it's why you can have teams like the Rams do what they do with the cap number, because actually, Kroenke, for as much as every Arsenal fan in this country will tell you he's stingy and does, has no intent to invest, He's come to the Rams, he's done quite a lot of immediate money at them. So I think it's an interesting point as part of this, but wide receivers again getting paid as well, Ollie. Yeah, I mean, I won't 
have too much sympathy for the owners there because I just saw the valuation <laughs> list come out this week from SpotTrack, which I know those lists are nonsense, but these things only go up in value, right? Uh, what did the Broncos go for? Four billion, three billion? Is it four point six five billion dollars? Yeah, point uh, two percent to Lewis Hamilton, which is a nice announcement. Good for Lewis, I think. Is that what they've? See, they didn't have the numbers yesterday. Uh, I got I, some. I, I'm guessing based on <laughs> billion that it can only be a percentage point. Um, Lewis Hamilton and Condoleezza Rice, uh, you know, the old white people that own Walmart really making <laughs> sure that they try and appeal to the slightly more progressive fan base. It's like, you know, we took the knee. Yeah. It's on our ownership group now. Not that I'm cynical about that in any way, shape or form. No, no, no. no. Condoleezza Rice, I mean, such a football superstar, <laughs> being the head coach yeah. of the Cleveland Football Browns. Um, I did. I actually, I, I, I'm going to address something. I've just asked you about wide receivers and contracts, but I'm going to quickly address something because we're going to talk about Tim Patrick, his ACL tear, horrible, horrible situation for the Broncos, who that's now three starting receivers in three seasons to suffer from either a preseason or early season injury, which has, has knocked them out for the year. Um, I made a joke on TalkSport yesterday, basically saying that I don't think Russell Wilson's going to win another Super Bowl. And then I joked saying... You know, I don't know if he cares more about winning in Denver or being seen at Wimbledon with Ciara and going to the Monaco Grand Prix and stuff, which was very clearly a joke. No one who follows the NFL is in any way doubting Russell Wilson's absolute commitment. And it's, you know, he is a cheesy as hell human being and he is uh, at times ridiculous and he cares so much about his image, but there's no doubt that he's committed. However, as much as that bit was a bit, I stand by what I said. Super Bowls are hard to win. Peyton Manning only won a second one because he had that phenomenal defense, running game, line, everything else that he had around him. And that Broncos team was better than this Broncos team. Admittedly, Russell Wilson's better at this point in his career than Peyton Manning was there. But what we've seen of Russell Wilson over the last two years doesn't suggest to me that he's going to take an average team to being one of the best in the league. I think they become really interesting. I think there is, of course, a situation where he could win a Super Bowl. You know, uh, did anyone think the Bengals were going to the Super Bowl at the start of last year? Absolutely not. You know, we often get these teams of fate who do phenomenal things. But if you're asking me whether I'm taking that team or the field, unless that team is like the Buffalo Bills going into this year, then I'm taking the field 99% of the time. And in that division, you know, you look at what do they do best, quarterback, pass catcher, and I'd rather have basically every other group in the division of just those two things, which is them at their best. Now, you could maybe argue pass rush if, if Chubb is in any way engaged in playing football, which I'm not so sure that he is based on the evidence of last season. Maybe you could get into the safeties, but quarterbacks and pass catchers are deciding games more than that. And I would pretty much have all of the other ones than that one. And with him, he has this crazy wide gulf of how his game will age. You know, he's not as much of a runner at all, even as just, you know, move to throw, which was his, always his thing than, than just moving to run. And as we've talked about on here a bunch of times, he does not throw in the middle of the field. As he ages, he cannot not throw in the middle of the field. It's already become a big liability for him over the last two seasons as he's stopped trying to move to create some plays on the fly. So if he doesn't find that new part of his game, which is a big ask to do at his age, just to suddenly become a completely different player from the pocket, then I don't know. I mean, he has all the pieces around him to build that infrastructure and then to execute it with those players. They still have a loaded receiver room. I really like Hamler. I don't think that it's a wild drop-off to go from Patrick to Hamler, particularly in the slot. All the jigsaw pieces make sense together with Judy and Sutton. You've got the quick guy over the middle. You've got the big guy posting outside. 
All of that makes sense. Albert O, tight end over the middle, really talented offensive line. All the pieces there, but it really is on him to see if he will adapt and develop his game. Anyway, I got some stick from Broncos fans on social media, and because I'm an absolute child, I can't help but respond back to it. And rather than respond to the person just on Twitter who has, you know, four followers and ten tweets, I am instead responding to them on here. So can we can I get your thoughts quickly on some of those receiver deals? Because we grew up as fans in the Belichickian ecosystem of football, right? We know how good teams run things because we watched and grew up through the greatest dynasty in the history of the sport and what they did must be the correct way, at least is how things are, are framed, right? And that was the most interchangeable piece of everything he ever did. We win through scheme, through play design, through defense and Brady. That is the core tenets of how you win Super Bowls and Brady took that formula and took it to Tampa. I went through scheme design, defense and myself. And that's how I win things with a, a slightly better pass catching core. I, I have this, these two things in my head where like that is in me where I'm like, why are you paying these guys? It's the percentage of the cap more than the, the value is irrelevant. Yeah. It's the amount of cap room you're allocating to one guy, a position that does not age well. And at any point can have the rug pulled from out, out from under it from one week to the next. And you're not sure when that moment is with also the notion in my head that AJ Brown is really, really good. No one can do what Debo Samuel can do. And the, the gap from those top 12 guys to the middle guys in the 30s is pretty profound. So look, there are there are 11 wide receivers right now who are earning over $20 million a year based on their, you know, that's their pro rush salary. Of course, there's all sorts of guarantees and nonsense and everything else. I find it very difficult to argue that anyone on this list doesn't deserve to be on this list. There's no name on there that screams out to me and I go, what are you on about? You know, even go down to the bottom and someone like DJ Moore, who I think may not be as sexy a pick as some of the other names on the list. It's very difficult to argue that his, what he means to that Panthers offense this year isn't going to be a huge amount of worth. I think there's a lot of looking forward to what the cap's going to do over coming years, which just feels like it's going to keep ballooning. And I am always a person who, backs money being in players pockets instead of owners pockets instead of you know tv rights holders pockets instead of all those other people that make money out of the sport i'd much rather those guys who are going and risking injuries like tim patrick has suffered this week are the ones that actually get paid and why whenever people bulk at footballers transfers i do turn around and say do you see how much the tv deal was why doesn't that player deserve to earn the amount of money that this club is bringing in like it makes total sense to me but it's that percent. I think I'm with you. The percentage of the cap thing is astonishing. For it, for you to be spending 10% of your cap on one <laughs> wide receiver in a league where we've looked at the last four drafts and gone, well, this draft is 15 starting receivers deep and teams are playing more and more three, four wide out sets. So you need three or four of them on the field at any one time. And yet we're putting this much investment in your number one receiver, in your true number one. You're spending, I mean, Tyreek's Hill case, it's nearly $30 million a year. And there's an argument that with Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, there is something that sets those players apart. Devontae Adams obviously has the ridiculous numbers since 2018 leads in every category you can possibly lead in. And Tyreek Hill, I think, is the one player who currently genuinely, I think we've talked about this a lot, changes a defensive scheme in front of him other than a quarterback but beyond that though Debo is would be the other one because you've got the the multi-positional thing if he's willing to do the multi-positional thing which he says he is now um and and if I'm going to talk as a fan 
I'm delighted that Debo Samuel has re-signed with the team. And I look at what the market is spending on everyone else, and I'll say, yep, I think he's worth that if I'm comparing him to Terry McClure and DJ, DK Metcalf, DJ Moore, even Stefan Diggs, AJ Brown. In another scheme, he might not be those players because he's not necessarily going to be AJ Brown and just go up and make every contested catch. I think he's tough as hell, and I think he can do that stuff, but you do question what his value is in you know, uh, 25, 26 schemes in the NFL. There are a lot of people, to be fair, running that same system that they're running in San Francisco nowadays. So I'm sure they'd love him. But the big picture thing for me is if you, if I put you in charge of a team, where does dominant wide receiver, so you know he's dominant, where does that rank in your pecking order of who you'd want to pay? Because the, the old-fashioned way, right, is quarterback, tackle, and now left and right is indistinguishable, basically, because they're all on the gun the whole time. Cornerback. Those are kind of your three premier positions we'll figure the rest out running back was so far beyond everyone else same with center which never made any sense because he's so important to the team off-ball linebacker now and then receiver i thought had kind of slipped into that camp of somewhat off-ball linebacker where if you get a really special one yeah we love him but we're kind of comfortable letting the guys who are just on the cusp of tier one leaving because we can go and find two twos and we're happier with two twos than, than the one one where would you rank dominant receiver in your just kind of generic team building philosophy all right so i i'm i mean obviously i'm with you the obvious ones i still think quarterback tackle uh corner i think in like as much as edge rush like pass rush has been traditionally it's not just in terms of the direct value to your team but how difficult it is to find those elite guys like you have to spend a high first round pick or you have to spend big money they never make it to the free agent market the really dominant guys like they are so difficult to find and you know that's why i look at a team like the chargers having potentially two if not three or four of them this year and it's terrifying interior pass rush i think becomes increasingly important in the nfl but that means the interior line becomes increasingly important in the nfl i'm getting to kind of the interior line was really fascinating because i did this all bargain team two pieces on the read optional recently the best value contracts going into the season who's giving the best bang for bug the, the amazing thing about the nfl is how perfectly the guys who get paid in the interior of the defense line are the best players in the league both numerically and when you just watch them play the league is unbelievable at figuring out oh yeah that guy's the best player on the field he plays in the middle of the field he's in the backfield all the time it's these four guys it's simmons it's donald it's go down the line numerically by pressures the highest guys getting paid this year are the guys who are the highest in, in generating pressure there's there's also that conversation with specifically receiver of i think it's different when you're saying how much do you value receiver as a position group versus how much do you value having a dominant guy if i was to make the case that i'm not necessarily agreeing with myself because of everything else i've said but you look at what happened in a situation like Arizona last year and once DeAndre Hopkins goes down and without some good coaching there which we don't think that they have certainly very good off-season schemers not very good in once people have had four or five games of tape on you you're basically buggered like once he went down how much they were suddenly limited does terrify me 
then you get someone I, like, I still think I'm talking outside the top six or seven at least. I think you took look at someone like Cooper Cup, who we can all acknowledge is maybe the best player at his position in the league. Okay, maybe isn't the, the dominant physical profile, but the most productive player at his position in the league. And everything they have to do to get him help to be the player is he's constantly in motion, you know, it's stack formations, all of the, the, the simple stuff that you would even throw in with all the old white slot corners that we've had throughout the generations, Welker's elements and go on down the line. So he has to get that level of schematic help for production, but they're paying him $30 million in cash this season. Could that not have just gone and be spread around to bring Odell back to sign Alan Robinson? I mean, I think Cooper Cup is, you know, invaluable to them, obviously, but I don't know. I just, I don't know why I, the league to... all of a sudden decided we had decided that is no longer a premier position. I, I start to think that it's partially about not losing the guy as well. Like, had all seven of those players hit the free market this year who have signed a 24 million plus deal, if all of them had been available on the free market, the general rule, if a player hits the open market and suddenly everyone's negotiating for them, is that in theory they should make more money. And yet I look at it and I think, have people paid premium because they're terrified of that person going out of the building and ending up somewhere else? There are, and there are people who will argue it. I see it, saw it all summer. People saying, do you know what? If X, Y, or Z is going to hold out, why don't we go and get a first and two seconds for them, or even two firsts in some players' cases? Like, I know the Titans might not be better today, but they might argue that in two years' time, if AJ Brown's in any way diminished, they came off better on that deal. It feels like the Stefan Diggs effect. It's like that we, we were in this warm cycle of the league don't pay the very top end and certainly not for a long time like you've you've pointed out throughout this offseason they're doing two-year deals with one-year options three-year deals with one-year options no one's saying here's five years and we're gonna you know you're gonna be with us till you're 33 that they kind of know that aspect they're really hoping to get the very last parts of value and then bail on the deal as quickly as possible but it does feel like everything in this league is the copycat as they say and Stefan Diggs had such a transformative effect on Josh Allen and the Bills offense that people just said oh let's just go and replicate that then shall we because we try all tried the Belichickian way and none of us are Bill Belichick and none of us have Tom Brady so let's go do what the the Bills did which is make our take our quarterback it was not very good and it became one of the best plays in the league and we're going to say a a lot of that was down to this fella outside who made life so much easier for him. Did make life so much easier for him, but I think it's really dismissive of, not from you, but from, I think, the general perception that Josh Allen was made better by having better people around him, when actually he did something that we don't think, as a rule, quarterbacks do, which is improve accuracy from college to pro level. Like That's, in theory, the hardest thing to do as a quarterback. That's what we get told, and somehow... I don't care if he had a better outside receiver. He still had to do that and put in the work. And I've been yes. so, so very impressed with what he managed to achieve there. But um, yeah, I, you've really stumped me. I, I, I think that if I were building a roster now, I'm going to look to zig instead of zag. And I'm going to look to not go and pay my a top receiver 20 plus million dollars, but pay a receiver group $40 million and spread that between three good guys and a couple of role guys. Like that's... And this Better is, to me than the, uh, one top guy and then five role guys. And that's the Ravens formula is pay all the non-premium positions at premium because it's actually lesser than the other positions, right? You go and get all the safeties, get all the interior guys, go and get the tight end and we'll pay the traditionally non-premium guys. The only premium guys they've paid, they didn't play, pay the left tackle, right? Traded him away. The only big 
big premium position they played was was corner they did put money into the cornerback room they still haven't paid their quarterback properly right so they, they walked away from all the premium stuff and they are the team the darlings of the preseason where you look at the depth chart and go they have all the best players at all the positions except for this one standout one which is the receiver room because they're paying no money there and everyone else is now carrying this this 20 to 30 million dollar contract on their books Right, let's um let's turn our attention to we, a couple of other bits of news that we wanted to touch on. Stephen Ross and the Dolphins probably should have been higher in the show, but we went off on a on a tangent because this was pretty pretty massive massive news. Uh, the NFL announced this past Tuesday that the Miami Dolphins will forfeit their 2023 first round pick and 2024 third round pick, uh, while Stephen Ross himself has been suspended through October 17th, following into investigation whether the organization violated league policies, I love this phrase, pertaining to the integrity of the game. It's one of those vague NFL terms that they will throw out there that means essentially we can charge you for anything we want and just put it under this like integrity of the game or bringing the game into disrepute or whatever you want to call it. And Stephen Ross is an interesting case to me because I think he's one of those owners who really likes to put himself forward and is often put forward as somebody who is relatively progressive, does a lot of civic and philanthropic activities, has his foundation, which the NFL put on a big press conference every year, looking at the diversity in the league. And he's the guy that invests all that money in it. And yet, Somehow, as our good friend Simon Clancy, who sadly is on holiday right now, because if we let him loose on this, you know, we could go make a cup of tea, pop down the post office, come back, and he'd still be going. I honestly think that <laughs> the idea that this guy basically tried to cheat three separate times, failed with all of them, and got caught. It's just the height of idiocy. It is astonishing. And there's almost part of me that maybe thinks, like, you know how murderers get sloppy after they've not been caught? Maybe, like, the second or third time, he's like, well, I can get away with what I want. I didn't get caught the first time. I just, it's amazing. When he, when he sits around his ownership table and he sees what all the other fellas are getting away with, he's thinking, I'm going to get pulled up on having a meeting with a quarterback on a yacht? When what's going on with Jerry and Dan? I don't think so. I think the league's got other stuff <laughs> in its hands. And this smacked, it was, this has ultimate good fellas, guys with cigars in a smoky room type vibes where of them punishing him publicly for the, the different offense, right? That they're saying they're getting him for the tampering and they're going to, uh, you know, he's going to be fine and suspended for that. And they're going to get the dolphins to the draft picks and that, but they didn't find the tanking stuff, which would be such a massive problem. And you're probably talking about take the team away from a guy sort of issue. If you conclude that there was a, there was a real tanking thing and their defense was he was just joking. And they substantiated that as the defense that he was just joking when he told Brian Flores to lose games, which is a normal thing your employee tells you to do. To just not do your job or actively do it as poorly as possible for for net gain so really yes he flamed out three times with his cheating with brady twice and peyton but he also flamed out the fourth time with the tanking he didn't even tank correctly <laughs> and if he was trying to tank evidently it was lost as a joke uh, somehow so it's it's why i mean he is one of the loseriest owners in the history of loser town not you know you can go on and on about this as you said uh, Sai will do a great job for us i'm sure he he's wound up and, co and comes back down to losing the city of miami you know that was a dolphins town forever that was the winningest franchise in the history of american sports this guy turns up they are losers it's now a heat town it's lost to a basketball team it's like he, he's as bad as it gets i do admire the the chutzpah 
if I can say that, of trying to go and get Tom Brady and Sean Payton because Stephen Ross, and I've written about this a ton, is up against the death clock, right? I know that sounds awful, but that's he's said that out loud, right? He He's not kidding around. I want a Lombardi before I go in the ground. Okay. And if that was me, I would also say, get me the phone. I'm going to call Tom Brady and I'm going to call Sean Payton and I'm going to figure out how we do this. Now, the fact he couldn't pull it off is hilarious, um, but you almost have to admire the balls on it. He's one of the people who makes the rules. How difficult is it to follow the rules when you are involved in the voting of and making them? Like, I, I have no problem with him trying to get Tom Brady. I have no problem with him trying to get Sean Payton. I don't understand how he doesn't have the conversations first with guys who he sits in a room with four or five times a year and has these conversations with. And yeah, we'll be doing so again in the next week or so to decide whether or not to allow the Broncos to be sold. Yeah. We already mentioned Stan Kroenke on this show, and I, I find it astonishing. The guy moves the team knowing that this lawsuit was going to come from St. Louis lawsuit comes against him supposedly told the ownership that he was going to pay for that fine off his own back the fine then comes which lands on the nfl's doorstep because that's how this thing works and he says i'm not paying it like when you are in a room with 31 other you know mostly white elderly men who are all worth billions of dollars to have you said it already the chutzpah to just turn around and go nope not doing it not my problem is astonishing figured out that settlement right they're still negotiating through that i'm surprised that goodell didn't just throw into this little stephen ross pot let's get him on the uh the tanking stuff and that the fine is 250 million dollars <laughs> in st louis does he want to lose his team or does he want to pay for the fine in st louis oh amazing Amazing. Um, and yeah, we're still at a point where we're trying to figure out if they're going to try and fire an owner from another team who probably should have been gone from the league for a, a long time at this point, considering everything, you know, we're talking about Deshaun Watson. There's an owner who has such allegations against him. I mean, there's more than one, but there's one in particular who comes under the most difficult of auspices. And yeah, I, the whole system is a little bit broken, but Stephen Ross tried to exploit it and failed multiple times and that's funny to me uh tevin jenkins is this just the bears trying to get out any talent whatsoever because they know that they're in a full-blown rebuild or it's confusing i mean it seems more like a personal and personality issue and i I, i'm not talking in any way about off the field concerns in that regard They, they they have basically said under their breath the guy doesn't want to play football and so we don't want to be involved in someone who doesn't want to play football and now they're looking at trading a guy who they moved up a year ago to go and select in the second round and that was the old regime um you know and this is the new regime so that makes some sense but it it is just you look at that roster and you're saying that guy's a second round pick a year ago. They demote him to right tackle from right to right tackle, then demote him to backup right tackle during training camp. And now he's so off injured with injuries that they're saying they're not so sure should be preventing him from playing. So they're deciding that they're going to to let him go. Uh, what's he worth? What's it, what's who's gonna who's gonna actually pay more than like a late round pick swap for him at this point? No, yeah, and there was tons of reports that pre-draft that a number of teams, like half the teams league, didn't have him on their board, and it's not any, I mean, you know how, how concerning it must be to not have any baggage off the field for a team to just say he's off the board? So, you know, you're dealing with teams around the league where half of them have already said, not for us, so, you know, you've only got however many people left there, so yeah, you're looking at like a sixth-round conditional pick or something, and just, and just eating the loss. The conditional, of course. 
conditional on him starting 16 games or something. Uh, I Some of the times, I, I sometimes you see those conditions, you're like, you might as well just call a, you know, a spade a spade and say it is a fifth round pick. Yeah. And that's like, it's, it's so funny how people try and hide the nonsense underneath it. Um, I mean, nothing will be uh, in football. Sadio Mane's, Bayern, the original Bayern Munich offer where they offered uh, a extension or an add-on that meant he would have to win the Ballon d'Or three years out of the four he was under contract. And you go, all right, come on. It's, it's like, just say you're not getting that money. It's much easier. Just say the pick's not getting upgraded. He's not starting those games. We know that, you know that. And the, the amount of billable hours they would have to give to a lawyer to draft that contract too. You know, it's like, <laughs> what a waste of everyone's time. <laughs> Ah, oh, excellent. Good, good. Was there anything else you wanted to kind of jump on? We're kind of, we're in that mode right now where it's into preseason. Every camp has little bits of silly news dripping out of it. An on-field fight here, a, 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 you know, bad joke in a press conference there. I just can't take I mean, any of that stuff too seriously. People will be upset if I don't ask you to choose your fighter between Brendan Ayuk and Fred Warner. Who's I mean, it's Fred, it's Fred Warner. If you see, like, Fred Warner's terrifying. <laughs> In a good way. I lo- like, he's a lovely, lovely man. And actually having interviewed both of them separately, I think they both appear to be lovely human beings. Uh, there's, you know, it's cheesy, but there's part of me that just, I like that there's that bit of fight and that bit of, you know, back and forth and that there's clearly a lot of passion there. And as long as it doesn't bleed into the season or go off the practice field. It's the kind of thing that back in the day we'd applaud for that stuff happening on a team, but that was before you had 200 media assembled and 2,000 fans there and, you know, 24-7 news cycle to fill with stuff. It wouldn't even get a mention anywhere. But Oh, from, from 91 to 02, it we featured heavily in America's game as they went on a Super Bowl run. It would be how the, how the locker room coalesced. It'd be wrapped into the narrative of Ayuk being disrespected and he fought back the team leader and then had this monster season. Yeah, so I'm kind of here for it. And every bit of news out of that camp has been quite positive beyond that. So I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with it. I'm happy. Did you see, uh, the, I want the one bit I will say, the most heartwarming piece of um, uh, training camp uh, nonsense I've seen so far was, did you see Christian McCaffrey and the Oreos? I did not. So a, a, a little kid brought him, like apparently at some point in an interview, Christian McCaffrey said like, during the season, he has to keep his diet and his regime and stuff. But the one thing he cheats on is Oreos. So like this kid brought him like a pack of Oreos and he joked with him and went, if you come back tomorrow with more, I'll give you like, I'll give you my jersey or something. The kid came back the following day with two packets. He like signed one and, ha- and gave it back to him, took the other one and then gave the kid his cleats signed. And then as he got in like the cart to get away, I'm not sure who it was. There was like a massive tackle or, or like defensive end sat next to him on the thing. He went, Oreos? Where'd you get them from? <laughs> and it's just one of the best bits of social media. Just one of those real wholesome while we're sitting here watching Deshaun Watson sign things and being disgusted by it and talk of fights elsewhere. It's just like, that was just lovely. I was just just absolutely all in for it. There is still fun to be had in the league in amongst all the ownership messes and predatory yeah. We can still just eat some Oreos, you know? Yeah, there we go. Beautiful. Right. Uh, I think that's us done then, buddy. Um, there's loads more content. Tell people what's coming up over the coming weeks, what you've got coming out, what you're working on, where they can check out, etc. 
Yep, go to readoptional.substack.com. That's where all the written content is at the moment. The the next issue of the magazine is pr- basically in the can, and that will be coming out before the start of the season. And that's an innovation edition, Will. Do you like that? These are themed issues of the magazine now. We're doing innovation. There's actually a thing in there, very media to media, about broadcast innovation, which I know you'll be. Ooh, we'll be tearing the, the, the envelope. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's where some of the best innovations in the league are coming, so I'm all for it. Okay, um, so there's that. Then we've got the new MCFS show on Fridays. People can, can check out, and like you said at the top, I would encourage people to go through and listen to the interviews I did yesterday um, and get all the download on what's going on with the Deshaun Watson situation, which is obviously the, the dominant story in the league right now. Lovely stuff. Well, thank you very much, mate. Enjoyed it as always. Keep locked in. Keep checking out Gridiron. Subscribe to the magazine. Do all that good stuff. The season is only just over a month away. Cannot wait. This has been the Gridiron Show. 